The indigenous peoples of South America were the first to discover the euphoric effects from chewing the leaves of Erthyroxylon coca, which was chronicled by the Spanish conquistadors in the mid-16th century. First outlawing the substance, but later legalizing and taxing it, the practice was described as chewing a mixture of tobacco and coca leaves to induce great contentment. Soon after, the medicinal effects of the plant were studied. In 1609, Padre Blas Valera wrote, Coca protects the body from many ailments, and our doctors use it in powdered form to reduce the swelling of wounds, to strengthen broken bones, to expel cold from the body or prevent it from entering, and to cure rotten wounds or sores that are full of maggots. And if it does so much for outward ailments, will not its singular virtue have even greater effect in the entrails of those who eat it? But it was not until 1855 when Friedrich Geick, a German chemist, first isolated the alkaloid known as cocaine. Shortly after the discovery of the new alkaloid, the world of Western medicine and consumerism quickly sprung into action to exploit the possible uses of the new drug. Cocaine was marketed as a toothache pain medication for children, a cure for dandruff, an anesthetic, a treatment for flatulence, a tooth whitener, and a cure for morphine addiction. In consumer circles, cocaine was used as an additive for wine and, most famously, as part of the original 1884 recipe for Coca-Cola, a soft drink that still carries its namesake to this day. In 1885, U.S. manufacturer Park Davis sold cocaine in various forms including cigarettes, powder, and mixtures that could be injected directly into the user's veins. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle would write that Sherlock Holmes would use it to offset boredom he felt between cases. In the early 20th century American South, cocaine was used as a stimulant for white employers, encouraging its use by black laborers to increase their productivity. Today, cocaine remains a popular recreational drug throughout the globe, mostly seen as a drug for the party crowd due to its effects of euphoria, sexual arousal, and increased feelings of unearned confidence. In 1995, the World Health Organization announced the press release of a publication which promised to be the results of the largest global study on cocaine ever completed. But the publication was later banned by an American representative as it appeared to make a positive case for the uses of cocaine, a predictable move by the U.S. government in its peak of its war on drugs messaging. But perhaps it may have been because also in 1995, a member of the world-famous Wu-Tang Clan released a studio album which showcased cocaine dealer and user culture in what has become one of the most critically acclaimed and influential hip-hop albums of all time. We review Raekwon, guest-starring Tony Starks, only built for Cuban links, this week on... Welcome to Gold Don't Rust, the only podcast about hip-hop that puts your nostalgia on trial. We are having a gritty street episode tonight. I did so much cocaine before this started that I have a nosebleed and I can't feel my whole goddamn face because I'm excited to talk about Uh, Raekwon featuring Tony Starks, aka Ghostface Killer according to the cover of the album. 
Only built for Cuban links. Before we get into it, let me introduce my co-host. We have, as always, the suburban dope himself, Mr. Andrew Barrow. Yo, that's me. And, as always, we have King Petty. All right. Rick Strip Jr. I don't mind that one. What up? King Petty, what up? what's good with you? I'm excited. I am excited. This is going to be a fun one. I Definitely. love this album in so many ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to just talking about it the way we do because I've never went in depth with this album to to this point that we're about to go to. No, never. you never did a track by track deep dive. No, did you ever? Did you ever do like bumps off the CD cover in like a church parking lot? Because I know people who did that once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Did, did you do that? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna I'm pleading the fifth if it was me, but I do know that that maybe at one point there was people I knew who right. specifically brought this CD with them just to enjoy certain to things off that. of it. Yes. Right. I don't know who that may have been. Nah. I mean, whoever it was, they sound like cool ass dudes though. It may have been my car. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So That's we funny. are discussing Raekwon, only built for Cuban links. I think we've already tipped off our hand as to how we feel about this record, but God damn it. Let's do the process because it's content. Rick, do right. you want to give us the information about this album? Yeah. I sure do. This album came out on yours truly's 12th birthday, August 1st, 1995. Wow. Mm. Loud Records, RCA Records, of course, as much of the early Woo stuff was. It was intentionally made to be like a audio film with Raekwon as the star and Ghost as the guest star. It sounds exactly like that. And RZA being the director. All members of the Wu-Tang, except for ODB, rap on this album, so they were still moving as a unit. Um, this was the first time we heard Cabadonna on Wu features. Wow. It mm-hmm. sold 130,000 the first week, which back then was a lot. Debuted number four in the Billboard charts. There was four singles, Heaven and Hell, Criminology, Ice mm. Cream, and Rainy Days. Mm. There was a couple other street singles, but they don't really count. But there was a couple other songs that were getting like radio airplay and stuff. It was ranked on the Rolling Stone Top 500 Albums Ever at number 219. Mm. Okay. So it's up there. Yeah. So it broke the top half. Yeah, it was heavily influential just off the mafioso stuff. Like, if you think about an album we already discussed, uh, Reasonable Doubt, and right. Biggie's Life After Death, both came out shortly after this, and both were very clearly influenced by the mafia, Gambino-type mm-hmm. stuff. Right. Obviously, it's infamously known as the purple tape because it literally was a purple cassette tape when it first came out that was an intentional thought that both tied to the drug dealing aspect of it and also was ray quite on the nose trying to set himself apart from everyone else if you know anything about drug sales especially in cities certain drug dealers or teams of drug dealers or whatever crews often label or specifically color their bags or product so it stands out as its own so the idea of making this tape purple came from Raekwon himself, and it was literally trying to say, you know, our product is noticeably different than everybody else's. Right, even visually. That's, that's, a good, that's I like that. Yep. That's hard. I like that a lot. A lot of thought went into that. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's about all the background I have for it. Okay. Yeah, even to this day, <laughs> even to this day, it's only uh, 1.1 million copies. Right. Wow. It's, so it's not really the biggest commercial success of a record, but I think its influence 
is seen all over the place in many ways that we will yeah. discuss tonight for sure for sure for yeah. sure so let's let's do what we always do on gold don't rust let's discuss our personal relationships to this album right this out al- i've loved this album for a very long time um when i got into wu-tang around wu-tang forever shortly thereafter i went back and i listened to everything so i've <clears throat> i've loved this album for a really long time i had the cd forever it may or may not have been my de facto Coke mirror for a little while. <laughs> I really do. I really do love this album. Every time I hear it, I, I just remember every feeling and word. And I'm still, I'm still surprised by the depth of it uh, to this day. I think it's a great album. Yeah. I mean, me. this album came out, like I said, literally on my 12th birthday, I was already in the Wu-Tang. I already owned 36 chambers on tape and Tikal on tape before this. I was Really excited that this was coming out on my birthday. I had my older sister go get it for me. Thank you, Mel. (laughs) I love this tape from the jump. I love, I mean, just, I remember opening it and seeing a purple tape and being really fucking confused because all I knew was clear ones and the occasional, like, tan white one. There wasn't even black ones that I I had anyway. Oh, Mm. so you had the original first run purple tape. Yes, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's... A lot of things it's probably worth so much money right now. Dude. I don't know where it is now. Jesus. My original one anyway. But uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of things that we'll discuss as we go on, as we go through this. But this album hit me in a lot of ways as a young kid. And I just kept listening to it. It's probably one of my like, top five most played albums ever. And yeah, like, I, I think of it every year on my birthday because I remember getting it as a birthday gift when it came out. So it's, it's got a lot of nostalgia for me. This album for me is special as well uh, in many different ways. I've been introduced to it at all, like at all different types of ages. That's how I know this album's that good. The first time I was introduced to it, uh, salute to my uncle. Um, he's the one that put me on, and he as well had an original purple tape. And I'm 10 years old. I've never seen anything like that. I just started getting really into tapes heavy because I had, you know, I had the cassettes and everything, but my mom was like really letting me like pick shit out now. So I'm like picking out a lot of random stuff and he gave me that. And I remember it's, it, 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 it sounded like a movie. I felt like I was watching something at 10 years old. I I knew, I knew that. And then I, I, and then I listened to it again, maybe around like 14, 15. Cause salute to, uh, you know, the babysitter, she was heavy into hip hop all like crazy and her and her boyfriend, they fucking loved this album. So they were into it heavy and he was like a hood dude. So he like was, of course there's reasons why he loved it. You know what I'm saying? And then later on in life, like what I'm 23, 24 and I'm going, I'm going out to Newark a lot to chill with, you know, with my cousin. And, uh, also when I leave over there, I started hanging out with people on the block cause I started to get, you know, to get to know people and the street niggas, they love this album a lot. And that was the first time when I really started to like talk about it in depth, but we never went to like that point that we're going to like music wise, they were just talking about the impact of it all because they really were doing that shit. Like salute to all of them. They really are moving like that. Like those are the dudes, Pat, that I'd be talking about that, that just don't be online. Like they don't know what an Instagram is because they are like deep in the streets. (laughs) They love this shit, bro. They fucking love this album. So yeah, this album is special in many, in many ways. 
I just went a few years ago. It. A few years ago, I went to the true. 20th anniversary show. Weren't you with me, Pat? I was with you. Yeah. We were there. Oh, that was I was cool. going to bring dope. that up tonight. The 20th anniversary show. That's we cool. went to that at Irving Plaza. Yeah. They performed that. The whole album start to finish. Everybody was there. It was fucking wow. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Wow. D Block came out. That's fine. Remember when D Block came out? That's fine. <laughs> By that point, I was on such a music high, it didn't matter. Yeah, it was fucking dope. It was a really good time. Oh, man. They did do Run also, though, Ghost and Jada. They did do Run. Which is fine. Yeah. That was fucking fire. All right. So let's get into this thing. Let's get into this thing track by track. Yeah. Let's let's start having fun with it. Let's do it. Let's uh, let's, let's get into it. Starting with Striving for Perfection. Yes. Obviously, it's a skit. Yeah, Mm -hmm. this intro uh, is actually... One of the, if not the last thing they recorded, apparently. Um, okay. They had in mind the entire time that the album was, again, going to be like a movie. And the idea right. for the story was Ray with his co-host Ghost and some of other co-stars popping in and out were kind of giving like their actual detailed life of what they went through as drug runners, drug pushers, whatever else they were doing in the streets in, in right. Shaolin. Mm-hmm. Right. But also the idea of the album was them... It was kind of like their last run at making a go at it. And if it didn't work, they wanted to move to something else because they were trying to progress past just being the drug runner and all that. Right. So the intro, while recorded last, they had a plan for it all along. And it's kind of what this intro is. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm tired of doing this shit. It's, it's telling you right away, like, we're going to break down what we did and what we do, but mm-hmm. with the thought of we're doing this to get out of it. Right. right. What I think about this is what something they do all over this album that I think is so fucking unique and you don't hear it that much is a lot of this album is essentially podcasting. Right. Right. It's just before 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 we knew what podcasting was. Yes, totally. And it's mixed into the album. I read about this. It was really just them having conversations. Right. So it really is them cutting in podcasting about their lives to further explain what the music is. And what's even more dope is. Right away on the intro, there's a sample of a, of dialogue from a movie called The Killer, which mm-hmm. if you guys right. haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's a John Woo directed and written film, and it's about two guys who are kind of from opposite sides of the tracks who ended up having to work together. It's basically about like a hitman and a cop who find common ground and work together. Well, that's exactly how it is with Ray and exactly. Ghost. Exactly. Because Rizzo did not that was pick that shit by accident. So n- not only... That was their relationship. Right. So not only is there a layer of this sample we're going to, or this movie we're going to sample over and over on this album related to what we're talking about, but also just the strict idea of we're trying to make this sound like a film. Why not let's have one cohesive film thought throughout? Mm-hmm. So there's like right. six tracks that have a piece of this movie. And again, if, if you guys or anybody listening hasn't seen it, especially if you like this album, you should watch the movie. Well, I'm going to go find it tomorrow now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna right go on. find it. Asap. There's an interview with Riza years ago where he said that they were a little nervous that they might get chased down for some money for using so much of this movie. Mm. And apparently, John Woo found them years later and not only told them he never wanted a dime, he said he loved the album and ended up taking them all out to lunch a couple of times. Oh, there you wow, go. which is that's, fire. That's fire. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. That's game recognized game right that's there. That's game recognized game at like the highest level though. You know what I right. mean? Yeah. <laughs> on right. both on both the chords. That's yeah. pretty fucking ill. And Rizza had said he was prepared to pay whatever because they, yeah, they, they thought it was so important as part of the at backbone that, of the at album. At that point but in life, yeah. Yeah. Every, everything's moving. They apparently 
according to Rizzo's interview, never had to pay a single dime for any of the pieces of the killer they used because John Woo was down with it. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's how you, that's that's how you really know cool. you're well-respected. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God damn it. Well, then that brings us into the first real track on this thing. And what the fuck is this fucking song? Yeah. So good. Oh, my God. So good. Knuckleheads. Every, every beat of this song is fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. It's such a bounce to this beat. Yeah. And it's such a super good energy to start off the album with because it's like you just hop out your seat immediately. Right. Yeah. Even that, like the way the bass builds coming in. Right. It's kind of muffled at first. It just builds, it just yeah. builds so much like excitement and tension. All the sound effects are perfect for creating, creating like an image. It puts you there like a movie does. Right. Yeah. Like the little conversation in the beginning. Yeah. I always loved how they had the, uh, the two for you. One, two for me, because that's like some Bugs Bunny shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah, right away, this song sets the stage of like, here we have Raekwon and his, his co-star, you know, best supporting actor, Ghostface, because this story yeah. is kind of, it's kind of a story about them like splitting money and then going on a heist and then, you know, you God's character gets involved and it's uh, yeah. right away, you know, that like Ray and Ghost are going to be the centers of this story. Right. And it's going to be a story. The interesting thing about the You God verse, I always thought it sounds rushed. As a kid, right. like even as like a, a kid listening to this, I was like, that sound like Ray and Ghost sound so crisp and locked in. They sound, co- they sound a lot more confident. So apparently, first of all, apparently you God kind of like taught Ray how to rhyme. They were like homies. Mm-hmm. You God was like the older homie who was helping him refine his skill. But apparently you God was in jail right before this. In fact, that's why he only has like two verses on 36 Chambers. And he had just gotten out. And the plan was for you guys to be on this album a bunch. Right. He recorded this verse and then never even got to do another take because he got sent back to jail for a few months and missed the rest of the recording of this album. Damn. Once I knew that story, I was so happy of my young ear to be like, oh, that was Rush. That's why it sounds that way. Right. But also, apparently, you God was supposed to be more of a feature on this than like Capadonna was, but then he got put away. So, wow, that all makes sense then. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I, I don't need You God's verse. When it comes on, I don't necessarily need it. I mean, give me Ghost and Ray on this going crazy. Give me this, give me this RZA beat that's going off. And yeah, maybe I don't necessarily know if it feels rushed. It just maybe doesn't feel as confident. I feel like two different ways about You God's feature here. From a strictly musical standpoint, I agree with you. I don't need it. I could do completely without that verse. Yeah, it's a really weak outing. But yeah. I think it's... I think it's important in the context of the entire album and especially in what the album's trying to accomplish, both as a piece of the Wu story and also as its own, you know, quote, movie, which I'm sure we'll reference a million times. But I think it's important to have other co-stars come along so it's not just Ray and Ghost. Mm. Like sometimes albums work as a concept when it's just one guy or just one guy and his friend, right? Like, that's fine. But this one, what they were going for... Right, I think it needs it's more characters. Yeah, it's important to have other pieces to it. Yeah, the story needs more characters, otherwise it would be boring. And like, you know, even in great movies, there's a couple characters where you're like, ah, that's okay. So right. you, well, guys, yeah, you, like, you guys, the okay, yeah, the okay I guy. I don't, need, I don't need them, but they're there. Right. And the right. movie's good, so fuck it. But yeah, the song is just so <laughs> fucking dope. I get so it's hyped good. off this song. It's good to this, to this day, it's good. I think, the, I think the line from a hip-hop song that pops into my head randomly the most of any line is when Ghost comes in on this and says, who the knucklehead? Want respect. I yeah. always think that. I Absolutely. Don't know why. That's been like chopped as a cut sample in like four or five other hip-hop songs, too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So clearly it had that impact on other people too. It's so well delivered. You guys could, I could, I could, I could have, I, I could have did without him. But I mean, it's, I mean, I, I think it's a little of both. I think it was, he wasn't as confident because he clearly heard Ray and Goats. And also he rushed it because he was about to go. So he didn't yeah. have a yeah. chance to really put in work at all. Yeah, if he's not sounding confident, knowing you're going to jail might make you not. Right, he was in a different. He was in a different headspace. Yeah, and he, you know, to hear him tell it, he intended to re-record it. He just never got the chance. So right, 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 right. So that probably fucking sucks too. This is gonna lead us to a whole lot of cocaine sniffing. (laughs) But also the next song, "Knowledge God." This song also is the first example I remember in my life from music of being introduced to like. Five percent or stuff and the supreme mathematics and all that. Yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of that was on here. I've never heard anything like that in my in my life. And so. I remember like one of the things I was gonna bring up with my personal uh, influence or my personal story with this album. Sorry, this album is one of the first ones that I remember making me want to learn things so I understood what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And like both some of the mafia stuff they mentioned, I ended up looking up years later. And I remember specifically going to a library, not when this came out, but like maybe eighth, ninth, tenth grade, something like that, when I was revisiting this album. I remember going in and, and looking for stuff on the 5% Nation of Islam stuff because of this album, because I wanted mm. to know what they were talking about. Well, I think that this song just, just sounds like, like a day in the life of Raekwon. So it's, it's kind of what it like is, listen though. It's a to story. This song, I just kind of, I just, yeah, it's a story, but it also just kind of feels like it's a story of just like Raekwon going through his day. Yeah. This is the kind of shit I do every day. The best thing about this album is it's completely honest. Like you right. can tell by the way he's rapping throughout and especially on this song. He really lives this way. Like he's, oh, he's, for sure. he's just rapping about his life. And even if you like, I mean, Obviously, you know, watch the show. The Wu-Tang show is dope. And the Raekwon character, Raekwon wasn't trying to rap at all. He was really in the streets. Like, he really was in the streets. Like, bruh, this rapping thing is stupid. We do this for fun. I'm not trying to rap. Like, what are you talking about? He was really out there. So these rhymes, the fact that he got so in tune with himself, and this is how he's coming at him. Oh, my gosh. It's, 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 it's amazing. There's something For about sure. the authenticity of that, too. Like, yes. Not that, not that we could ever actually know as listeners, right? Like, some dudes say they're rapping about what they lived, and we have to take them at their word because we don't know. But right. sometimes, maybe as a, as a listener, you might feel a little bit skeptical about this or that. Like, Ray, yeah. Ray and Ghost on this album specifically, I never doubted that what they were talking about was what they were living. Oh, yeah, not at all. It sounds so authentic. I mean, especially because, like, even what I was saying with like the podcasting, even the skits, it doesn't sound like people like, okay, this is the script for what we're going to say to right. sound this way. Just them this was these motherfuckers putting mics on and just talking about what they're doing. Right. This really, this really is a snapshot of their lives at that moment. And there's, yeah. a, there's a quote from RZA from right around when this album came out, when they were asking him about this album. And I'm going to read it word for word. He said, it's going to be a very dangerous album. It's going to change the game. We're going to invite those demons, every negative stereotype, and deal with them. So they knew that, you know, some of this might be viewed as negative or glorifying or whatever, but they also were being as authentic as possible. Like, this is what they were living and what they were feeling. And 
they were prepared to bring you that. Plus, this beat is also so fucking dope. It's ridiculous. Like so the, fucking the dope. The strings, it's almost, I think it's got to be two different samples that he just weaves together perfectly. It's one of the f- better examples, even though there's a lot in this album, of Ray literally painting a picture. Like, he tells a story about that yeah. Mike, Mike Lavonia character. You, yeah. can picture, you can picture all of it. Oh, yeah. It's, it puts you so much there. It's so visual. And it's interesting because, especially at the time, right, you had, you had Big and you had Nas and guys who were telling stories like that. And, like, we kind of talked about with Jay and Nas, but Nas was painting a picture, but it was often a very abstract picture. Like, I'm a gun, right? Yeah, exactly. Or, like, or like here you're going through my memory graveyard. And Jay would tell a story, and it was very simply descriptive, even though he made it dope. Right, like right. think of, think and of this friend is or like foe. a different language. It's like right in the middle of those, right? Because it's you yeah. can picture everything he's saying, but you also picture things that like no one else would say it this way. It's definitely like the dopest relatable way to say these things. You know what he's trying to say. He's but not it's being so, full so of wordy. Slang and references, and like, yeah, this, this might be the most slanged out album ever. It's crazy, and you know what else it's full of? Confidence in yeah. every single word. Yeah. Every beat, every word, everything about every track is full of confidence. That's yep. why I think that's maybe why I like the You God verse in the last one kind of stands out because it's really the only thing on this whole album where it's like it's not. Not them know. knowing they're the illest ever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. Right. Incredible song. So it's going to bring you to another fucking incredible song because the yeah. next song is Criminology. One of my favorites. Starts with the Scarface sample. so ridiculous. This beat is so crazy. So, so often in these times, uh, we talked about it a little bit with Wu-Tang Forever, like Wu-Tang was super in a zone for these few years, right? Just constant mm-hmm. music. Sure. Yeah. And a lot of it was all RZA himself. And often what would happen was RZA would just lock away for days, weeks, months, years, and just make beats. It wasn't usually he was making shit as, as needed. It was just, oh, I made these beats that sound like this together, let's use those. Mm-hmm. This right. one, Ghost specifically asked him to make like a breakbeat style beat. And this was Riz's version of like the 80s breakbeat, which is so dope and That's also crazy. unique because Ghost said, make this for me. And he said, okay. And then they just made a song out of it. Right. Yeah. Because and it's, a, it's such a minimal is, loop beat too. That's what... Right. That's what RZA does so well is just these minimal loop beats that vaguely sound like they belong in like a Disney haunted mansion kind it's of It's definitely thing. haunting right. tone. Yeah. But in the dopest way possible. But not, not in a scary way. Not no, in an overdose. Right, That's what I'm saying. Right. Like Disney Haunted Mansion. It's like the dark soundtrack to some dope shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it often, really cool. It usually intentionally sounds lo-fi almost. Like you hear like record crackling sometimes. and like right. Yeah, that's in there on purpose a lot of the time. Because it's so consistent, especially on this album with similar, not the same, but similar tone. What are we on track Four? Four. Four. <laughs> Already, these first three songs are like three of the best beats RZA ever made. Yeah. And that's saying a lot for someone like RZA. This is also top five ghost verses for me. Yeah, he came in, he came in strong. Verse. He came in in, 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 in a way that, that, that really solidifies him. Like, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. Let's get it. Like, that's how this whole verse sounds. There's more, uh, more 5% in Supreme Mathematics talk, like dealing in my cipher, I revolve around sciences. That's very mm. much uh, 5% talk. I revolve around sciences. So That's dope. a sample, too. Also, at the end, Raekwon says, like, the Tommy Hill rocking line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fun fact, around that time, 
maybe because of this, or maybe it was unrelated, but Ray actually walked in a Tommy Hilfiger fashion show in New York City. Oh, wow. Because they were always rocking Tommy, and I'm sure Tommy Hilfiger reached out and was like, you guys are already wearing my shit. You want to come do something here? That's hard. That's a side example of also different trends that these guys were setting, because they were the first ones to talk about Tommy Hilfiger, which became huge. Mm-hmm. And like they, they were purposely also setting themselves up as style icons. Yeah, they were, let, they were making it be known. Ray grew up loving Slick Rick and loving Big Daddy Kane. So like style was part of his, I mean, look at the cover of the album. He's wearing like that expensive Italian shirt, you know? Right, with the chain on. Like, this, like that's, that's just who he is. It was all part of their plan to like mm-hmm. just be fresh and different than everybody else. Influenced everywhere now. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> all like like as as we're talking about it, all I'm thinking about is West Side Gun every time. Right. Yeah. That's 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 literally who 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 I see in my head every time we talk about it because sure. it's like, yeah, he's following that same that same movement, following that yes. same path. Yep. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's following incredible. the blueprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if executed properly, and Wu Tang is also the album, the band that had that album that sold for like millions of dollars to that dickhead. What, what was that guy? Martin Screlly or whatever. Screlly, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have like the most expensive album of all time, and there's only one of them, and you can't hear it otherwise. Wu Tang knows how to do it. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. They're, they're one of those groups that like they built in their branding so much that it, it just becomes timeless. Yeah. It commands the respect. All right. So that brings us into another cinematic track here incarcerated scarfaces i always thought it was interesting sequencing that the track before this has the scarface quote at the beginning of it and then the next song is incarcerated scarfaces mm-hmm. which i'm sure was intentional in some way this opens up though with more quotes from that movie the killer again this beat is fucking incredible yeah it's ridiculous this is actually one though that apparently this album was pretty much done and ray just happened to be at riz's place one day and this was a beat that was supposed to be for Jizza for Liquid Swords. Uh-huh. And Ray was like, no, no, it's not. I'm taking it. And Rizza at first didn't want to let him. And then Ray had this piece that he had already written that was kind of supposed to be him telling his boys in jail about what his life's like right now. Like letting right. them live vicariously by writing him a letter. Right. He apparently wrote it in like 20 minutes on the back of a paper plate while they were smoking blunts one time. But he wrapped this to this Jizza beat. And Rizza was like, all right, I got to figure out a way to explain to Jizza that you can't have this beat because this is yours now. And that's what this song is. Nice. Wow. One of the, uh, what I wrote here when I was listening to these beats, it really, it started to make me think about RZA beats, Prince Paul beats, like the really early good beat makers and the kind of feeling that they all had. And it, it really started to make me think about, I think the older technology was responsible for a lot of the feeling of what good hip hop was. Right. I really mm. do feel like that, like those yeah. older, that older sampling technology. Mm. Because it sounded gritty. Right. Yeah. It sound, it sounded rough around the edges and it right. makes it, it just makes it feel so much more authentic. I feel like when hip hop is too polished, it starts to lose that. It also fits the aesthetic, especially in this context. Oh like, yeah. The, these weren't, yeah. these weren't polished dudes who were trying to go to an expensive studio and worry about sound quality these were dudes who in between doing their shit on the streets they were like yeah right. let me go let me go to rizzas real quick let drop me go, off a bag yeah, of weed and, some verses, of verses. Yeah. and let me go and i'm gonna go hit the block again that's literally what they were doing all day every day 
And, and I mean, you know, Wu-Tang was, you know, on the come up and all that, but they were all still just in the streets <laughs> doing what they do. So while I think uh, a style like Ray's is timeless in general, this is one song that gives a good example of why sometimes making specific references aren't a great idea. Because not that it's a bad thing necessarily, but sometimes references don't age very well, right? Like we talked right. about it with Missy, the song that's Beat Me 911. No one's got a fucking beeper now. Right. He mentions Trump on this in like a yes. kind of positive light. But right. what's even funnier is he talks about a 27-inch Zenith. Which, if you, can, zenith, if you yeah. can picture what a 27-inch Zenith TV is... So fucking small. To us now, that's a joke. Yeah, that's a joke. <laughs> but that was the baller shit then. That was, yo. That was a big a 27 deal. 27-inch Zenith. And it, 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 and it, was prob- it was probably some bread, too. You know For what I'm sure. saying? Yeah, absolutely. It was probably like a big box, too. Like yeah, a huge box. Swiveled on its own. Not that it takes away from this album, or any album that does it, but when I listen back... And I hear like the timeless stories, like on Knowledge God. It doesn't matter when I listen to it because it all sounds fresh. Like Ray just did this shit today. But when I hear right. him talking about like a fucking TV that hasn't been good for twenty years, it's kind of hilarious listening back. <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but now I'm hearing this song in my head from the many times that I listened to it throughout the week, and it's making me laugh because it's like, ah, oh, you're right. He's right. <laughs> I try to in my head mentally think of like what someone with money would would say now to brag about and just imagine that's what Ray was saying because if I just think of like right. yo I got this this 2 foot TV that's you know 700 pounds with shitty TV quality and probably an antenna and a turn knob on it it doesn't sound baller but like it was then <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great way. That's such a great. Oh man, I want you to. I want you to pick out a lot of hip hop references. Oh, I could do that forever. And just do that. Yeah. I want you to write them down, <laughs> and we can just do that. That's really. That is fun. That's a I think fun I, game. I think I smell a new segment. Holy shit, and, that's and, funny. Yeah, and what's cool about it is like, oh, you know, that's so funny. There's a little bit of, even though I laugh at it now, you know, I I listened to this album then, so then. In some way, shape, or form, I knew, like, oh, shit, he's got a 27-inch TV. But, like, Ooh. sometimes I listen to shit that I didn't really pay much attention to back then, and something like that comes up, and I'm just like, what are you bragging about, my guy? <laughs> but I guess that was the shit then. That was the that shit. That was it, bro. The 27-inch Zenith. That was the thing to get. You coming, you, if you walking out the store with that, niggas is looking at you like, oh, he get, oh he's getting to the bag. This nigga got right. bread. Right. Oh, he got money. I'm about to go steal that 27-inch Zenith. Yeah. Yeah. Me, me and four of my niggas, because I can't pick that <laughs> shit up by right, myself. Can't carry that. How, how are you even stealing this that? big fucking TV. Yeah, right. You can't even bring four dudes, because then it won't fit in the car. <laughs> you got to bring a pickup. You got to bring Somebody's a crew Somebody's got to drive a truck, yeah. because it can't right. go in the car. Yeah. I, just, I just picture a dude like with a hand truck pushing that shit down the street in Shaolin. <laughs> Oh, like stealing my it. Gosh, bro, that is so funny. Next song is Rainy Days. Rainy oh, Days. One of my, another one of my favorites. It's not one of my favorites personally. It's, it's not one of my favorites dope. either. It's super dope. I, I mean, I will say I, I, don't, I don't like the singing. Yeah. I don't like the singing. I don't like the singing at all. I think they should have got a different singer for that part. Who is Blue Raspberry? It was, she was a Wu affiliate. That's all okay. it was. I mean, if you think about. She's not good. 
But if you no. think about early Wu shit, you know, we'll get to one that's not an example of this on this album, but they only worked with each other. Only. Yes. So and I'm when, not mad at that. I'm sure they didn't even have a thought process. Yeah, they didn't have that mentality then. It was like someone singing. They oh, got somebody okay, else. Blue she wasn't even on, she wasn't even in key. It was terrible. No, it was right. so bad. It's you really gotta bad. Fix that. You gotta fix that. I mean, I do like the the content of what she's saying. Like the point is supposed to be, you know, the chick who who knows that her man's doing all this fucked up shit, but she's staying regardless. More more quotes from the killer in this one. Right. Uh, weirdly enough, I've heard Riz say in interviews that this is not only his favorite track on this album. I've heard mm-hmm. him say it's his favorite Wu Tang song ever. It would it would it would be. I guess that makes it sense. Yeah. yeah. He's weird like that. It would be. Well, I think I, I think I know why, and I just why? I think it, I think it's because this song is so cinematic in mood. It is right it, it to is. me as I'm it listening is. to this song. What I wrote was, "This beat feels like a hood masked ball." I like that's the movie I want to see. Like, give me hood eyes wide shut to the eyes of Ghostface <laughs> Killer. Right. Like, I want to watch that movie. That shit I can see that. hard. And I guess I get why. Yeah, like. If RZA was going for the cinematic feel, it makes sense that this was one of his favorites. Yes, um, I mean it's. I, I don't. I don't. I don't mind the rapping at all. I just. I yeah. wish they had somebody else singing. She's not in key at all. I knew that at ten years old. I knew that at fifteen. I knew it. However, it doesn't matter how it old. It almost you sounds are. like it's supposed she to be bad. It's supposed to sound like a parody almost. That's how bad it is. Uh, yes. Right. I, I, I think of it as a joke. I can't take it serious. I can't take yeah. it seriously at all. There's two parts of the lyrics I wanted to bring up because, you know, I like to break down lyrics like a nerd. When I said earlier that this album made me want to research certain shit, this song specifically got me really diving into like what the 5% language meant. And then I ended up catching things that I didn't know were a reference once I researched it. Like Ghost at one point says, that was back in Build Build. And I always thought it was weird that he said the word build twice in a row. Mm-hmm. But in Supreme Mathematics, build is the number eight. So he's saying back in 88. Yeah, that oh, was okay. back in build, build. But like I would have never caught That's that hard. had I not researched. Right. There's also one funny part that knowing the story now makes me laugh a lot, especially from watching the Wu-Tang show and just from knowing how wild Ghost was. In the middle of his verse, he pretty much threatens Divine, who was Riz's brother. Mm about like not getting advance money. And apparently that was real. And when Ghost did it, Rizzo was like, I don't know if I can keep that there. Cause like my brother is kind of helping us get this shit going. Yeah. Sounds like something Ghost should do. But it's also one of the things like, that's how, that's how, that's how hard he is. It's like, yeah, I'm doing this. You come at me if you want to, you already know what it is. We get to shaking if you want to. Yeah. You might not know what he was saying if you don't know who Divine is. But, like, it wasn't even one of the things that he talked in code about. You know, a lot of times Ray and Ghost talk in, in such slang-heavy terms that it's kind of hard to decipher unless you really are tuned into what they're saying. Yes, even I understand he, he it completely. His lyrics basically say, yo, Divine, give me my motherfucking money. Like, he right. wasn't, he wasn't right. beating around any bushes about it. That's so, that's so dope. That's so dope. All right, let's keep it, let's keep it moving through the tracks. We got yeah. next up, we got Guillotine. Yeah. Guillotine Swords. This fucking beat, if you asked me to describe or to show you a prime example of what Wu-Tang sounds like, I would pick this beat. It's a fucking fucking Wu-Tang cut. Like the the little strings in this beat sound like a bee fluttering 
but also kind of sound like kung fu music, which is about as Wu-Tang as it gets, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, it feels like a 36 Chambers cut, but dun, more refined. Yeah. Piece of this beat was used on a skit on Zakal, which is why you recognize it. It, it always, yeah, Deck comes on this shit and just fucking kills just it. snaps. He's always so good at that one quick verse of just yeah. burning your fucking face. Poisonous paragraphs, smack your phonograph in half. They inspected deck on the warpath. God damn. Like just, and then just, and then just continued to kill it. And then it's just like, all right, I'm good. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that shit sounds hard, right? Let me get on there. Boom. Let me write a verse. Okay. Boom. That sound good. Cool. All right. That's so, that's, that's crazy that he could just do that. It shows you a strong example of like, where these dudes were at creatively and how much they pushed each other too. Because mm-hmm. like I'm sure Deck knew I'm getting one verse on this shit. I yeah, better go off. Yeah, I better burn it down. And he did. And you want yeah. me to go first? Okay. Right. Exactly. Yep. Jizza always sounded not out of place, but he like his audio, the sound of his voice always sounded so different than everybody else in Wu to me because he was yeah. so mm-hmm. crisp. Yeah, he has a totally different style. He's more the intelligent one. He's like the Donatello. I love his verse on this and how it closes the song out because it's like almost like uh, cleaning up, not the mess, but you know, it's, it's gritty, gritty, gritty. And then it's like, all right, let's just get crisp and power this shit through to the end. And Jizza kills this shit. Yeah, this whole track is fucking ridiculously good. This, so good. This, is, this, is, this is one of those songs you just put on and you're just like... Oh, yeah. Also, this song, when I did my, uh, when I did my you know, 5% research, in Dex verse, he says... God, you, in that order, not you, God. And I was always confused, thought he was talking about you, God. But that's more supreme alphabet. You know, uh, when they spell certain words, they use the words for it. So gun was like God, you, something. I forget what the N stood for. But that's also apparently where you, God, got his name. You, God's name is, his name is basically gun. But like flipped in supreme alphabet style. I'm going to take it there. Black people spoke in code for 400 years. That's just what we did. You know what I'm saying? Which is why patois, a lot of street shit is slang. Right. Patois, you know, Jamaican Patois is, they, they spoke that because they were doing that so the master and the white people didn't know what they were saying or talking right. about. That's, that's literally what we've been doing forever. And they're just doing it, you know, in, in a way, that's, way. That's the same purpose Yes. Of the original language of street names for drugs and street names for money. It was so when people are listening, they didn't know what the fuck you were talking about. Right. But these guys had like a language that was so unique in their own that people literally started stealing it from them. Once again, um, once again, West, West Side Gun. I mm-hmm. mean, every, all, all of them, the whole Griselda, all of yep. them. You know what I'm saying? Benny, Conway, the way they rhyme, what they talk about, how they do it. Yep. It's this. <laughs> it's this, bro. That I mean, we're it's 2021. This album came out in what? 94? Especially 95. because they were given their their real life point of view. Right. Like the next song. Yes, the remix. The can it be also simple remix. This is yep. them. I mean, if you know the original song on 36, it's the first time the two of them work together. Right. And it's kind of yep. when so apparently it was sort of at Rizza's pushing but more so Ray. Ray knew, like, me and this guy just connect musically. We need to do it. And Ghost didn't want to at first. 
because if you know this this the backstory they weren't they weren't friends no they were in weren't. fact they were That's, enemies yeah, they hated each they other they were enemies yeah. Yeah. but apparently because that song original one came out so well it's when they all started to realize like all right maybe we do kind of have to get this going together which right. is why it's it's kind of cool that this remix exists on this yeah. album because it's like a continuation of how it started yeah because i mean now you know 30 30 years later however many you know they're they're literally brothers now right but it's just so crazy that the rizza that's why he's so dope he is the common denominator in all of that he was cool with both of them and he was just like look this is what we're doing we're doing this and he somehow made these street dudes from different projects and from different hoods understand what was going on and he brought them together to the point that they were do- that they made an album together <laughs> that's like blood crip shit bro you know what i'm saying that's yeah. crazy but i like when we so like we've talked about both tonight and all the time you know about um authenticity or perceived authenticity and are these stories true and a lot of the other stories ray tells and ghost tells on this album you know, about like drug deals or, you know, this crime thing or that, whatever. You can't know if they were true. We believe them because they're probably true. But a song like this, where they're just talking about how they came up, everybody that lived in their neighborhood at this time came up like this. So this is literally just recounting memories. And it, you can't not believe it because it's proven that that's what life was. Yeah, it's a great fucking song. I mean, it's just it's just great song after great song with this one. Absolutely. So why don't we uh why don't we take a break here? I mean, this is this is where side A stopped on the purple tape. This is a good place to stop because if you were playing the tape, you'd have to stop it and flip it over now anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. So flip over your purple tape and join us on the other side. All right then. On. Yo, today's episode is brought to you by CeeLo Green, Suspenders and Sunnies. That's right. CeeLo Green has always been one to stand out in the crowd with his fashion sense. Well, he decided to take it a step further with Suspenders and Sunnies. That's right. Stylish suspenders and sunglasses you won't get enough of. Being that no one wears suspenders. I mean, seriously, who wears suspenders, bro? Like, my niggas aren't wearing... Okay, okay. Anyway, uh, from the Wildflower pair to the Lady Killer sunglasses, get your new favorite pair of suspenders from CeeLo Green Suspenders and Sunnies because these sunglasses will be worn inside and outside. Mark, you know the only people that wear sunglasses inside are people that are doing drugs, right? Okay, and, and, this, is, and this is what they gave you. Okay, fine. Uh, bring back the modern man with a pair of suspenders by CeeLo Green. Suspenders and sunnies. You want me to do the tagline? Mark, you know I'm not a singer, bro. Like, why am I? All right. Okay. This is the only way we get our money. Okay. Uh, suspenders and sunnies. Suspenders and sunnies. Suspenders and sunnies Just for you Mark, I'm telling you, bro If we don't get paid for this one I'm over here wasting my talents with this, okay? 
go with our band, Andrew Barrow, Suburban Dope, you know what it is, Go Don't Brush. We are back, and uh, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, right now, I, 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 I wanna rush, I wanna rush this episode up so I could, uh, figure out who, who, who I can get the plug so I could, so I could go, go, go move some weight, bro. Yeah, that's you're, trying, you're trying to move a pack out with here? With this shit. That's, that's, that's why I don't <laughs> like listening to stuff like this all the time, because I know like that, like that, like it has that feel to it, but then it also has that feel like I want to do this shit. Like I want to fucking go do this, but I know I can't go do this because I can't go to jail. I can't do that either. I really want to do this. I don't, I don't know if any of us. I don't know if any of us necessarily have the personality to move large amounts of cocaine. I don't really feel like I. I don't really feel like I could be intimidating enough to be like, hey, if you don't give me the money for all of this cocaine, I'm going to shoot you with this gun I have. <laughs> hey, listen, that co- that cocaine is worth a fair amount of money. Listen, okay. I love you, bro. But there's many things I would call you for first or one of the first. But like sure. if I was about to become a kingpin, I don't know that I'd call you. No, I'm very good at planning. <laughs> Just don't ask me to be threatened. <laughs> oh, I love it. I would I, I would it. I would I would ask Pat to, 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 to plan to plan certain shit, but he don't gotta go do it. It's like you don't have to do that shit. I don't yeah. gotta go do it. Yeah, and, gonna, and that's okay. I would be like, why the fuck would I want to do that? <laughs> this doesn't oh, seem like man, a good idea. That's so funny. All right, let's get back into this side too. Oh, man. But anyway, we're you know we're back. Let's get it. So next song is uh you know it's Shark Niggas. That's this the is the most song. excited the I've skits. been to talk about a skit, and probably the most excited I'll be to talk about just a skit because a lot of people don't know this. Still to this day, this whole thing is a biggie diss. Oh, is it really? So first yeah. of all, what you said earlier, Pat, about how there's like, you know, elements of what we consider podcasting. Yeah, this is like, like a podcast. This is a so podcast. This, this skit is one of a few on here that they have said was not written or planned. It was just one of those moments where they were recording just to see what they could get. And this came up and they thought it was dope. Right. It's a podcast. But yeah, this, if you listen closely to the specific stuff, he mentions, uh, they're talking to Nas, right? Because Nas and Ray used to hang out a lot back then. And Nas was often in their sessions just because he was like, he wasn't coming to work. They were just going out together. Right. But he says in there, like, you know, guys biting your, your album cover or whatever. And the, the thought process was because Nas put out Nomadic with his little kid picture on it. That's why Big put his baby picture on Ready to Die. Okay. And, and there's also a part mm. of, um, you know, he says, stealing your words and shit, son. And there's in Big Papa. When Big says money, hoes, and clothes, that specifically people thought he took from AZ in the beginning of uh, Life's a Bitch. He says, like, money, hoes, bankrolls, or whatever he says, almost word for word. So this entire skit Mm. is them basically saying, fuck you to Biggie. Wow. Which is, it's another example of... How at the time they just didn't give a fuck. They were coming to everybody. They thought they were the best and they didn't care who they pissed off. And I think when we talked about the Puffy album, I mentioned how Big kind of addressed this in Victory. Right. Yeah. It's because of this skit. This whole skit is pretty mm-hmm. much saying Biggie's biting our shit. I don't, yeah. I mean, it might have been biting or it might have just been how influential they were. Right, right. They, they weren't necessarily, maybe Big yeah. wasn't trying to steal it, but it's clear in the difference between Ready to Die and Life After Death where Big's style was going. 
And right. Ray was kind of the first to do that shit. So it make it makes complete sense now, like listening to it and yeah, that it make it makes sense. It 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 does. But I mean, it, it it's definitely impact, but also I do think a little of it has something to do with that because Biggie was also out in the streets, so they're looking at it in a different way. Like you really out here, like you trying to like not 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 trying to be us, but like you wasn't out here doing what we do, bro. But you but you were doing it, but not at the the same caliber that you're talking. Not 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 like us. But this is this is definitely the the best piece of really them doing an early version of podcasting. And I think that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. I think it's a lot just of the adds, conversational shit. It, it just adds another layer to really just being a beautiful snapshot of like a moment of in time when they were when they were coming up. It really captures the whole energy of what they were experiencing, which was trials and like whatever, but also a lot of success and a lot of proving themselves and, and creating their names. Right. And a lot of those you know, a lot of the movie yeah. samples and the conversational skits and stuff like that just gets you further diving into the, what their world was. Like, you know, a lot of times you listen to an album, you get the world that the artist wants to give you. But mm-hmm. sometimes with stuff like this, it feels like you're in a car with them as they're talking shit. Yeah. And it just fully immerses you. Like, yeah. even the movies they were watching are now part of the songs. Like, you can really get a seat in the theater of yeah. what their movie they're showing is. And it's awesome. For sure. It's absolutely And then we go to awesome. the next song. It is. Be my favorite Rizzaby ever. Yeah, is, is this the one with the oh? Yeah, that, that shit is so haunting it in sounds the best like, way. It sounds like Disney so Haunted good. Mansion shit. Yeah. This beat is perfect. I'm pretty sure this song is the, um, the first time we ever heard Cappadonna, if you were listening to this in order, right? He didn't rap before this. Right. No, yeah, this is his first appearance on the, on the album. And apparently Cap was, um, you know, kind of the big homie as well, who was always around. And, you know, I said earlier about how You God was probably going to be more prominently featured on this album because of his relationship with Ray. You God was the one when he was going away who was like, you know what, if you need someone to fill that spot, get Cap. And I think Cap kills this and everything he does on this album. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This beat is perfect. This also might be my favorite ghost verse on this album. Which one is this? Just check out the rap kingpin, the oh, black yeah, Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just Ghost just had this beautiful swag about him, like just just saying like, not only am I better than you, but I look better than you, and I'm cool as shit. And that's what Ice Water is, right? It was about their their diamonds, their ice. Another great track. Beautiful track. At yeah. this point in the album, it's like it's just it's all good it tracks. Is. It's one of those times. It's what are you gonna keep saying? Because it's followed by another track, which is which is another great track. Glaciers of Ice is fucking crazy. This is I another. Love, I love Ghost talking about mm-hmm. dying his wallabies. Yeah, and again, this was this was not a planned skit. They had brought their what was it called? The dat, the digital thing. Yeah, they they used to bring it around the car sometimes, and this yeah. was literally just Ghost talking about his fly shit in the car, and then they just kept it for a skit. Yeah, this wasn't a planned thing. Wallabies. But he was. He was actually doing this himself because he knew he was like the style icon or he thought he was the style icon of the time. So he was literally wearing the Clark Wallabies and dyeing them different colors and shit himself. Yeah, I want to dye some Wallabies. You guys want to you guys want to dye some Wallabies? Yeah. Let's dye some fucking Wallabies. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I can do mm-hmm. without Mastakilla pretty much every time Mastakilla is on anything. I pretty much don't need him. Uh, that's that. I mean, that's 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 how I feel about it. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't need him. I, I don't. I don't need him I don't on need there. Master he didn't need to be on there. 
I get, I get, I get like why. Master Kill but... is very like um, he he always does have the same kind of flow every time he's on anything, and it's always like um, it, it doesn't yeah. really fit. You know, I feel like he's kind of lucky to be there. There's a lot of like cool internal rhyming and and stacking words that sound similar, but his voice is like sounds so out of it. Like he doesn't want to be there. Yeah, it just doesn't have the right attitude. It doesn't it doesn't fit the vibes. I do think this is one of his better verses, but you know, if we've got to be honest, it's not my favorite thing on the album. But I mean, otherwise this song is fucking crazy. Need, it doesn't need, it doesn't need to be there. The song and is it leads crazy. into yeah. one of the fucking dopest songs of this era. Verbal, Verbal intercourse, intercourse featuring Nas. Yes. So this is the first yeah. non Wu Tang member feature on any Wu Tang project. It was Nas. Right. And it's not. Like I said mm-hmm. earlier, Ray and Nas had just become close through mutual friends and through making music, and they weren't really ever intending to work together. You know, they didn't say, we won't do this, but they kind of were just hanging out on weekends and driving around each other's hoods, and they went to Riz's place one day, and Riz put this beat on, and Nas was like, I could rap to this, and he apparently did a couple different verses, and Rizza, or Raekwon heard this one and was like, nope, that's the one. You're, that's what you're using for my album. I would say mm-hmm. this is wow. my least favorite beat on the record. Interesting. Because it's the whole thing just kind of slaps and just fucking bounces and is fun. And this one really doesn't have much going on. It's there's like no real drums. There's no real bass. Like it's really it's really sparse. It's really minimal. And I agree with you a thousand percent in the context of just the beat. But I think that that's what they needed Mm -hmm. for three dudes like Ray Nas and Ghost because they were so ornate sometimes in their speech themselves. Right. You almost need something that sounds kind of airy and loose and almost empty to just let them weave in and out. Yeah, it just kind of feels weird, though, to me. Like, it, it just feels weird coming to me in this album that's giving me all this same kind of energy. And then the track with Nas comes on, and all of a sudden it just kind of, like, drops the energy at least 40%. You know, just kind of like, it's just like a dupe. And it's like, why did they do that with Nas? I can maybe see it from that point of view. Um, a little bit. I mean, bit. it's a good song. I'm not going to say it's not a good song. I mean, this Nas verse has been listed on so many different things over the years. I think at one point, the Source magazine had like a top 20 verses of all time, and this was in the top five. What? I mean, it's, 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 it's a, a great, great verse. verse. The beat just it hits is. me weird there. He, he, I mean, he, they, yeah, I mean, and not, and not only that, I mean, you could tell that Nas was trying to do his best because, you know, this wasn't his song, so... He made, he made you know, sure not that Nas and Ray are correct. specifically necessarily similar, but they were the two most similar at the time as far as the way they told stories and the way they used slang and language. So it did make sense for them to do this together. I do like the one thing I like about the beat is that like kind of woman moaning sound. I don't really know what that is, but I like that they use that on this track called Verbal Intercourse because it gives you that kind of feeling in the background. Um, there's also a line in here that for years I assumed was a Tupac diss because Ghost literally says, don't want to see Tupac. And I thought he was like talking shit. But apparently literally at this time was when Pac was in jail in New York and Ghost was just saying, I don't want to go to jail. Speaking of Ghost, we have the next song that is the solo Ghost song. Yeah, I really like mm-hmm. this song a lot. See, I knew we were going to disagree on this one. It's a Ghostface fuck song, right? And Ghostface fuck raps are some of my favorite ones. I love Ghostface fuck raps. They're amazing. This is one of my favorite of that ilk. But yeah. I think it's, I personally think mm-hmm. it's completely out of place here. If I had yeah, to pick a song yeah. on this album that I don't like, even though I do like this song in a bubble, 
I don't think this song belongs here at all. Because not only is it a ghost solo song, which seems weird on a Ray album, For unless sure. you consider it a duo album like you do. Right, yeah. But also, it's just not really the content they're talking about for most of the album. He's also out here fucking, and he's got to let you know that at some point. He also apparently recorded this drunk, which is hilarious. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. That, I mean, that, that, that makes complete sense. That While I don't always agree with you on the ghost fuck song, because I think sometimes they're a little bit too much. <laughs> I love them. He has this way of simply putting things sometimes in these type of songs. Like, in this song, he says... Your waistline banging like a baseline. He's always been. Yeah, if he's, he's always been great at that too. too. This makes a lot more sense. Right. It was. He's just fucking. He's just fucking around that. in there. So also, yeah, apparently, he's just it was supposed shit. to be, of course, Ray on it also. Um, but Ray went to RZA and was like, "Look, I don't think I can do anything like what Ghost just did here." <laughs> and because it was Ray who wanted to include Ghost on the whole album, RZA was like, alright, well if you want him to have a solo song on your joint, that's on you. I don't care. But like, RZA, right. initially RZA intended this to be a Ray and Ghost song. Okay. But Ray heard Ghost being drunk mm. and, and fucking bitches, and he was like, that's not really what I do, so let's just keep it there. I mean, listen, I like it. It's, I feel Ghost. like it's, it's Ghostface having fun, too. I like when Ghostface is having fun. Alright, well, I'll take us to the next song, Spot Rushers, with a Z. So if you guys don't know this, it starts off with like a Wu-Tang song in the background that if you, if you notice when you're listening, you don't really, you don't know what that song is. Yeah. They had a St. Ides commercial that they made at the time that was like a radio spot that was a Wu-Tang song, basically St. Ides ad. And that's what you hear in the background of this. You can find it on YouTube if you look around enough. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was wondering what the fuck that was. I thought it maybe it was a part of a song they just made for this. Lyrically, I like it. This is Ray at his storytelling best. Yeah. Um, it's a story that, mm-hmm. you know, again, he claims was based on truth about an out of town or out of area rival drug dealer kind of taking over part of his territory. So Ray has to go deal with it. Right. So, yeah, it sounds like another day in the life mm-hmm. of Raekwon song. Like all the Ray solo songs on this are like, this is what I did today. We've talked a few times about different artists being storytellers and how we all seem to enjoy that type of hip hop writing. Um, yeah. I don't think Ray often gets mentioned in those conversations yeah he should and i don't know why um i also like the the pace of this beat it's perfectly to the the tone of what the story's about you know i really do love this beat a lot i love the vocal sample it's really weird the keys are like just kind of strange and it's just really well layered and very interesting Mm -hmm. again another really simple loop just kind of repeats like this one is the one that has like a really a noticeable vinyl crackle throughout the whole thing yes absolutely yeah Yes, it does. And so yeah. does the next one, but it's, it, it it gives it it gives yeah. it character. And the next one is, is nice. one of the is. Come on, I think this is the best Wu Tang single ever, solo or group. Yeah, and I don't think it's particularly close. I mean, there's yeah. some really good it's ones, stupid. right? You know, uh, Shimmy Shimmy Y'all was incredible. Yeah. Triumph obviously is incredible. You know, Wu has obviously put out a lot of really dope music in general, but specifically as singles. But I think this is the perfect marriage of maintaining that woo style and grittiness while also making a quote-unquote radio or pop record yeah for sure yeah they just method man on these hooks is so fucking dumb man. method man he didn't want to do this song at all this hook because already at this point he kind of realized he was getting shopped as like the the handsome one of the group like the pretty boy like you know he, he wanted to do a song with mary and they wanted to do this and that and apparently, initially, when they pitched him this concept, right. this was Riz's idea. Riza said, yo, let's make a song for chicks about ice cream and, like, cones for titties and all this. Right. 
And Meth was like, nope, I want no part of it. And Riza convinced him and just said, look, I'm not going to write it for you, but here's, here's the concept, here's the metaphor, do something with it. And Meth fucking killed it. Yeah, he really did. And he just... Yeah. He- the beginning part where he says, the ice cream man is coming. Yeah. Ma, throw down some money. Yeah. Dude, this song is so fucking good. Though. I think everybody loves this goddamn song. This song is fucking incredible. The beat's incredible. Method Man on these hooks is some of it's some of the best delivery of a hook in hip hop history. Especially the end Ever. when he like yeah, clearly he stops ad-libs. and then comes back. Yeah. Like your guts. Like he, he misses a whole bar. So when this came out, I was twelve, right? I was in what, seventh grade, I think. Maybe it just finished sixth. Mm. And I took French class in I was in a Catholic school at the time, so I took French class. So I knew a little bit of French. So at the end, when meth's like, parlez-vous Francais, mi amour, mi merci, oui, oui, bon, bon, and all that good stuff. Yeah. Right. In the middle of that, he says, mi amour, which is Spanish. Yeah, it is. It's all romance <laughs> languages, though. But he's trying to speak French because everything around it is French. So it's, it's like, it's all just romance it's languages. It's hilarious to me because it's clear that that was just meth ad libbing and being hilarious. Yeah. Because he got it yeah. wrong. The beat has the record crackle on it. It even has like the, the girl screaming and like the ambient talking noise in the background. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. perfect. It's got the bounce. Everything it's got about the bounce. This song it has is, no real bass. Is, is, is great. It has no real bass. Capadon actually has really my favorite verse on, on it, personally, because I love when Cap gets in this bag. I love when he says silly shit like, I love you, like, I love my dick size. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it sounds dope. They have they they had a lot of fun making this song. Yeah. It's it, it it showed throughout the track. This song will never not it's, be perfect. It's, it's probably why it's my favorite. And I mean, from everybody I know that listens to this and knows this album and loves this album, they love this song. Yeah, this no is undeniably what. the best. Plus, song can you think of another song at all, let alone a fucking huge smash single where they talk about sucking titties? Because I can't. I mean, listen. No. If anybody's gonna suck titties, it's gonna be Wu Tang. It's going to be Wu-Tang. And if anybody and if any and if anybody is going to be able to just confidently be able to just be like, yeah, girl, let me suck your titties. <laughs> it's going to be yeah, Wu-Tang, gonna be bro. And the girls are going to do it because that's how Wu, that, that's who Wu-Tang was. That's who they still are. And it wasn't. See, and, and, <laughs> and to take it a step further, they were so confident in their game. They weren't even saying, hey, can I suck your titties? They were saying the bitches want their titties sucked. Right, yeah. They, they just, weren't they even asking. They just knew walking titties. in the room. They, they knew. just do what it was. Every yeah, girl they here do what it was. As soon as they walk in the room, they know. <laughs> yeah. They know instantaneously. Every single woman in here wants me ice cream to pull out her titties and suck on them. I know yeah. this for certain. I have creepy <laughs> Donald you know Trump what? energy. That shit is real. That's yeah. That shit is wild. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> when you break it down, it's this wild. This song also, like created slang and metaphor that is everlasting like now you hear people call themselves butter pecan ricans and yeah, you know yeah. you hear the references to you know i like a chocolate deluxe double scoop like this that came from this yeah but this one's so, this one's so fun and silly and the beat is so it good is. and in in all honesty the the hooks are delivered so confidently it doesn't really matter what anybody else does on that song like you can't really kill that that whole thing is just that that fucking thing's a home run. And also, I'm I'm glad Rizzo was able to convince Meth because Meth's the only one that could have delivered that. Yeah, at all. and Meth fucking yeah. crushed it, killed yeah. it. And the next song, speaking of fucking everybody crushing it, Wu Gambino's is just fucking. It's so, an insane Wu Tang track. It's this insane. song is so important in the idea of 
forever influence, right? So we've talked a lot about how they thought people were stealing their shit and, you know, styles they started, slang they started. Right. Not only was this the first real big example of the mafioso Gambino shit, Raekwon himself and really this song and Wu-Tang guys started the nickname Alter Ego stuff. Like, Nas wasn't Nas Escobar until he met Raekwon. And Biggie wasn't Frank White until Raekwon's shit existed. And, you know, in this song, they all met the man, calls himself Johnny Blaze. And who else is on this song? You know, Riz's or Tony Stark's is Ghost and Lex Diamond's is Ray. That started from Raekwon and kind of this song. It was their, their mafia alter egos. Right. No one did that before this. Nobody. And like, you know, the intro to this song is more from The Killer, which is dope. That's cool, too. Um, another great example of the hook writing, like you said, Pat. Like, yeah. We brought it up on Wu-Tang Forever, too. Wu-Tang has always been so good at hooks. Yeah. This is, this is my favorite hook on the album. Um, I love the Wu roll together as one. I call my brother's son because he shine like one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just... Ice cream's a better Such album. beautiful but simplicity. Good one also. Yeah. On here, there's also, there's also RZA, who's... RZA's not that great on here. And Master Killer again. I'm just I'm pointing out things, just other things to, to point out about the songs. We can talk about how good it is and how important it is. All of course, and I think these of are, course. Who, who needs Master Killer? Did we did we ever need him? No. Has there ever been a moment where like you know Master Killer really made that song better? I mean, like I said earlier with the You Got shit, I appreciate it in this context because they're trying to give you co-stars and you need something different. But how come Master Killer has to be a co-star? Why yeah, somebody, when I get somebody else, else to be is a what co-star. is what I'm saying. That's all. That is all I'm saying. Right. Just get somebody else. Did to we do ever it. really need? They could have got anybody else. They could have found guess somebody is else. He, he just happened to be the one camped out there chilling. Because <laughs> he That's had nothing else to do, probably. Right. He had nothing else to do. Yeah. That's another why. amazing beat. Often RZA uses piano sounds or samples that almost sound like they're off key from each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's dissonant. And it's on, pur- it's on purpose most of the time. Right. And it, it gives it such a cool, yeah. Um, yeah, it's always, sloppy it's always but detuned. clean feel. Everything's always like detuned and put through a kind of a right. filter. And the piano on this beat is an example of that. Like that. Dun, 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 dun. It almost sounds yeah, like that's, not. I mean, that's every single track on this entire album. I mean, anything right. that's everything that's doing a melody is detuned from perfect because that's the entirety of Riz's sound. That's what makes it sound the way it does. You could argue that he overuses it, but you also don't really notice it because everything he makes uses that same kind of technique. Really. But it's also he even if he overused it, he doesn't overuse it in the same way, which is why I think it works out okay. Listen, Riza makes some of the best beats of all time, and I I will yes, I will absolutely. not say anything poor about his production. I'm just saying it is a style that he uses, mm-hmm. and it works for him. It does. It works well for him too. Yeah. Uh, next song, your girl's back. Blue raspberry. Blue raspberry's back. This song I like a lot. It's 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 a different energy from the rest of it, but it's like a nice like cool down. So it's a reason it's cool down, but she still don't sound. I mean, no. There's a reason it's different energy. This was the first song recorded for the album. Oh, okay. Oh, that makes well. That's interesting. This was the first single because it was on some soundtrack. Of course, I should have wrote down what movie it was, but I don't remember. Really professor. No, I think it was a. Uh, <laughs> I want to say it was a movie called Fresh, maybe. Oh, Fresh is that shit. That is that. that I think I believe that is. Wow, now that I'm thinking about it, that is yeah, that is Fresh. 
Um, the beat is a little bit different tempo and tone than the rest of the album. Not in a bad way. I think it's a cool way to, since this is like kind of the last song on the album, I think it's a good come down pace, similar to the song Blue Raspberries on earlier, right? It's more the downside of what they're doing and being aware of the downside, even though they're trying to get out of it anyway. Apparently this song Ray wrote entirely and then Ghost, he let Ghost pick which parts he wanted to say. That's... That's cool. That's real. That's really. That's I. I never. I never thought that. Me either. I never thought. I never thought that. I never thought that, that, that would be an approach for something like way. this. Yeah, exactly. Right. I never. I never thought that. It, it just shows you not, how much. How much they were one unit. Right. That's that's that also that's so much respect because it's like, yo, you wrote this entire verse and you trust me to be on this. And say your words, and you're telling me to right. use them as if it's as as if they're mine. Well, That's music soulmates right there. Truly. Well, the last track is it's basically a skit. I always thought it was interesting that the very last words said on the album, he says something in the in the way of no man can be good or bad at the same time. He's either good or he's bad. Right. And I always wondered what that meant in reference to this album, because they're obviously talking about doing a lot of shit that you would consider bad. Right bad right so i just always figured it was like the i think illegal and bad are two different things well they're they're trying to get up out of it so i think the idea is now they've gone through all this and they've learned the lesson of this is not where we should be anymore let's let's move on Mm -hmm. i also i'm pretty sure somewhere in the background of that track you hear odb's voice which is the only time you hear him on this album yeah he wasn't on here at all (laughs) he got his own album this year too now let's do what we always do on gold on rust let's go into our final thoughts on raekwon only built for Cuban links and give it our yeah. rating on the order of rust to gold. Um, I will go first today because I went last last week. This album is a timeless classic album. It's some of the best examples of RZA production. It's some of the best examples of Wu-Tang in general, song making. I think it has the biggest impact of any Wu-Tang solo record. I think it has one of the biggest impacts um, in the history of hip-hop based on its legacy. It really is a duo record with Ghost and Ray. I think it's, it's the most duo record of them that we've ever gotten. It's so in sync. It's so well put together. Every piece of it is so well thought out. It's cinematic. It's got podcasting elements. It really puts you directly where they're trying to put you, and this album does exactly what it sets out to do in an evergreen, timeless content way. It's it's a gold album, and I don't think anyone could say anything else. Yeah, I mean, I won't even say much. I'll keep it simple. It's it's gold to me. This album is perfect lyrically, perfect beat-wise, stylistically. I think it is... As far as one album goes, RZA's yeah. best set of production ever. Like if if you asked me to make a top twenty RZA beats list, probably six or seven of them come from this album. I think he was super in his bag. I think Ray was at a point of knowing exactly who he was and who he wanted to be as an MC. I think the way they layered, like I said earlier, the the John Wu, the the Wu Tang stuff, the the mafioso stuff, the mm-hmm. cocaine, the street stuff. It's just this perfect marriage of so many elements that not only was dope at the time, but will be dope forever. 
and will continue to be a piece of other dope shit, which is this mm-hmm. true sign of a classic album to me. Because it's not just classic on its own. It helps yeah. create other classics. So, yeah, gold, yeah. gold, gold. That's All that. Right. All right, and now we'll go to Andrew Barrow. Yeah, so... I mean, this album, this album is everything. Truly, it is, it is, it is hip hop in, in, in the, the, in its most perfect form. It's just, it's, 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 it's what you need for real, for real. It's music. It's still good to this day. It's timeless. It's classic. I mean, the language of it all, everything, the impact of this album, talking about it like this, I really realize the impact of it. I mean, Everything about this album is influenced now and in, in, in real hip hop. Yes, it is completely influenced. And I think the fact that it's 2021 and it's still going. Yeah, it's it's a go. It's a gold record, period. Everything about it. Yeah, we're getting we're getting a yeah. lot more of these lately. We got four now or five. Yeah, this is five now. I believe this is five. But that's not as many as, oh, of course. I mean, how many how many episodes have we done? This is eleven. As a, so out of out of eleven, you know, five of them we said okay. So I mean, that's not a, that's not a bad ratio. I no, think this fine. is one though. You know, not that I think we've gotten any of them wrong, but I think this is one that is universally gold. Of course, yeah. like I, yeah. I've never met or heard of someone who didn't think this album was about as classic as it gets. Right. I don't know from, from many different angles. I don't know how you could argue that it's not. Yeah. It's undeniable. Well, there you go. And that's going to bring us to a segment in gold. Don't rust today. We have another edition of top three. And it's inspired by this album because I remember how excited I was to both buy and own this. Yeah. So I figured we do a top three of our favorite pieces of music anything that we owned, whether that be a tape, CD, poster, action figure, just pieces of physical music memorabilia, mm-hmm. our personal favorite. Uh, like I'll start off with one that I mentioned on a couple episodes ago. It was a 45-inch record of Beastie Boys Cookie Puss, yes. and specifically and only because that's the first thing I remember being mine. I, okay. Like, you know, I, I've loved music for as long as I can remember. But that was the first piece of physical music that I could say was my own. Like my parents had, you know, shelves next to the radio of all their vinyls. And I used to keep that in a separate spot because it was the only one that was young Ricky's music. So the memory attached to having my own first physical piece of music, which was the first of many, 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 will always resonate with me. So Beastie Boys, Cookie Puss, single 45 inch record is my number three. All right. I like that. Yeah. Drew, what you got? So my number three uh, for me, um, and I still have this shirt, uh, it was from the Jay-Z, the Jay-Z shows that he did. um, The first, when he he first opened up Barclays and he did eight shows Mm -hmm. and I went to the second show. Dope. Nice. And I was like, I got to get a shirt. And I just. Jay performing in Brooklyn, right? Mm-hmm. By himself, yep. he yeah. had he had like a six piece band up there. It was crazy. That's awesome. I mean, he, a whole band, two drummers, a saxophonist, a you know a you know a keyboard player, a guitar, a bass. It was like this dude is a rock star. 
And that, he's more than just a hip hop person. He's a rock star. And isn't that kind of the, I mean, for me, that's kind of the point and the dopeness of buying merch from a specific concert is being able to look yeah. at that and, and refeel those memories, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why people used to that's keep concert tickets too. So you could look at it and be like, oh shit, remember this shit? Yeah. Right. I found a box of concert tickets recently. I don't, I don't really care about any of them in retrospect. <laughs> my, um, all right, my number three. This is what this is. This is kind of my wheelhouse. I, I knew it was. I own an I own and operate a, a collectibles company. So a lot of the things I'm going to mention here are are already sold. Um, you also have always owned the most physical music and and music memorabilia of anyone I've ever met, and it's not close. Yeah, I've always collected all yeah. of it. I've just CDs, I've kind of been vinyl, everything, T-shirts, so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much. I've always loved it. It's always been a big part of my life, and and the collecting of it was always things I enjoyed. And and so my number three is is a piece that sold in the MF Doom Operation Doomsday lunchbox set. So, so it fire. was the it was the Operation Doomsday like a metal lunchbox, and inside was the CD with a bonus CD of instrumentals and outtakes and demos and stuff, and um, MF Doom trading cards. Those are still sealed in the pack. I mean, just the lunchbox. Anybody else ever do that? Yeah, no. I've seen. I've seen other lunchboxes. <laughs> Have you? Yeah, like uh, there's like tribe lunchboxes out there. Interesting. I never heard of that before. Yeah, no, I've seen it. That but is yes. a cool, unique piece yeah, of memorabilia, yeah. though. It is. All right. So my number two was a a cassette tape, um, also Wu related, but it was my the first copy of Wu's solo Enter Thirty Six. Or I'm sorry, Wu's debut. Enter the 36 Chambers. Uh, and it was because I got it from my cousin Steve, who is now since passed, RIP Cousin Stevie. Mm. But he was one of the first people. He was like, um, I don't know, six, seven years older than me, maybe. Something like that. But he was one of the first people that was really pushing me to listen to hip-hop. Like I kind of already was on my own, but once he found out I was, he was constantly letting me borrow his stuff. And the first time right. he let me borrow 36 Chambers to listen to my Walkman, I was, you know awestruck by it and I remember going to give it back to him and he let me keep it and because that specific album in general meant so much to me that moment was so dope and that it's the first cassette I remember being my own just like that you know Beastie Boys record I talked about I probably owned other cassettes but they didn't stand out but he like gifted me his own copy and it just I didn't I don't think I ever even played that tape again because I didn't want to fuck it up so yeah, the, my first, I mean, I owned 36 Chambers on CD multiple times, and I think I even had another cassette, but the first copy I got used from Cousin Stevie was my number two on my top three. All right. Drew, number two. My number two um, for me is easy. It is um, a Tribe Called Quest, uh, Tribe Called Quest, I'm so high, <laughs> Tribe Called Quest uh, record. Um, low end theory. It was the first record that I bought when I got my record player. I was like, "Oh, I'm going hip hop first and I went to the record store that day, found that, and I was like, "Yeah." The man. first, the first of everything, always feels so dope, doesn't it? Like it felt good yeah. to put that in the record first, yeah. right? That was nice. You still have it? Yeah, of that's course dope. I still have it. I'm not getting rid of that. Yeah, still you hang on to that. Yeah. All right, mine is something else. That has since passed. I don't even know where this thing is. But my number two is, I guess, 
kind of along the lines of what you guys are saying, your first thing that you ever owned. So the first piece of music that I ever bought with my own money was the full CD of Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise, the album, my number two <laughs> on CD, Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise. Which is actually, it was a dope album. It absolutely was a dope album. It had one, two, three, four. Get your, get woman, your on woman on the floor. On the floor. Gotta, gotta get up to get That's down. right. Yeah, shit. It was great. It was a great record. Um, I listened to it a lot. You know, I was, I was young. We talk a lot about nostalgia on here, and there's That's physical copies of things or physical music yeah. memorabilia is always going to be tied to nostalgia, especially when yeah. it's the first of something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you still have that CD, Pat? I don't know oh, where no, I don't know don't. where it yeah, went. Right. I have no idea where it went. But that that's was funny. definitely my number two because I'll always remember it. I'm never gonna forget that thing. That's dope. Yeah. <laughs> so the main reason I was inspired to do this list, my number one. I know I talked about how I had owned the original Purple Tape. I don't know where the fuck that went. My sister probably stole it back after she bought it for me. But a few years ago, for the 20th anniversary of Only Built for Cuban Links, they re-released. 1,995 copies of the purple tape in a box set that comes with this, like, mm. it's an actual purple tape that I could play. I'll never play it. But it comes in its own enclosed padded carrying case. It also comes with a lyric book, like a big copy of basically what was the CD liner, and also a bunch of words written by Raekwon about making the album and stories about the songs. And it's one of only, like I said, less than 2,000 of them. And just re-owning a cassette tape at this point in my life, especially specifically the purple tape, it's pretty much the only uh, memorabilia of music I own or really have ever owned. Like I always bought a lot of actual tape CDs. Right. Yeah. I have some, I have a few vinyl, but owning this box set and knowing it's, you know, a callback to something that I had then and just having the purple tape in my hand is fucking dope. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fittingly, my number one is related to tonight's episode. It's the 20th anniversary box set edition of the Purple Tape. There you go. That's a dope item. That's, That's hard. a dope item. I'm going to post a picture yeah. of it on our Instagram so everybody can see it. Nice. That's hard. Um, my number one for me is easy. Kendrick Lamar, Good Kid, Mad City. The last CD I bought, man. It's very, like, Sad, wow, <laughs> a little bit, but I'll never forget that CD because it's also the one CD that I could say for me, this album, it, that 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 album is very similar to that in a sense of authenticity and it's just a movie. It's right, a movie. Yeah. Did it's literally it's a movie? Were you aware thought. at the time that you bought it that it would be the last CD you bought? No, so I bought three of them. Interesting. I bought three of wow. them. I wasn't I wasn't sure if it was going to be the last thing I was going to buy, but I knew I wanted one just for me. Does your car still have a CD I player? One. Does your what? current car have a CD player? No, it doesn't. I wish it did. Mine does. I still I still <laughs> listen to burn CDs in my car. Wow. Oh, I wish I I wish I had I wish I had that, but I bought 3 of them. So one for me, one for the girl I was dating at the time, and then I still have one in plastic. Oh, that's dope. And I'm probably just going to give that to my sons or something. Yeah, that's dope. Because that's my shit. Go. I like but that. Yeah. That was the last one I bought. All right. My number one is time for a shameless ad 
for sale right now on bubblewrapcollectibles.com is my number one. It is my <laughs> mad villain action figure. My Mad so Villain dope. action figure featuring the Avalanche 7-inch. It is the second edition of a Mad Villain action figure. I had the first one. That already sold. <laughs> but this one right <laughs> here, the additional one with the Avalanche 7-inch. And I'm also including with this the mini comic that was included <laughs> in Mad Villain 2. It did not come with this piece. I am including it with it. If you go to bubblewrapcollectibles.com, it will bring you to my eBay page where you will see this item for sale along with other rare collectible items. So even even though we obviously want you to support everything we talk about here, guys, uh, I promise the intent of this was not that. <laughs> we, we did not do this top three just so Pat could do a commercial, but also go no. buy his shit because... Trust me, that that action figure is fucking fire. It's so fucking dope. But yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of cool shit. Yeah, there, on is, there. there so is. definitely get get on there and check it and, out. And you cool. know your shit. Like I said, Pat, you've always been the guy who like owned things related to music. All right, well, that's gonna do it for another episode of Gold Dome Rust. Yes, sir. We're on socials. It's Gold Dome Rust Pod. There's a guy. His name is Three Six Zero. He's on Spotify and all other music platforms, mm-hmm. and he makes our theme song. Mm-hmm. And he's also generally a very nice person. Tell your friends about the show. Subscribe to us on whatever podcast ass you're listening. Rate and review. Leave a comment. Contact yes. us. Tell us what you think about the music we're talking about. Tell us what music you want us to talk us about. Tell us which yes. one of us you think is the most handsome. We are, we are much like wedding DJs and where we'd love to hear your um, requests for that what we're going nice, to yeah. talk about, but we're probably not going to listen to any of it. That's right. But please tell us anyway. And don't tell us who's most yeah. handsome because I don't want Pat and Drew to get upset because it's clearly me. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I'm excited for next week. Me, oh, my. What is what next week? Next week, next week is uh, we'll be talking for the 10th anniversary of an album that came out roughly when the episode next week will drop in 2011. And it's an album that I have not listened to since the year it came out, even though I liked it very much. So I'm intrigued to go back. Interesting. And it is Watch the Throne. Watch the throne. Oh, yes. That'll be fun to go back. I haven't gone back in a while. Neither so have I. I'm Probably by it. the time we're doing next week, Donda will have just dropped, maybe. Hey, maybe I, I shouldn't have mentioned it because it's going to age this fucking podcast. Well, no, it won't because you I could listen to this it. in like 2026 and be like, maybe Donda next week. And they'll be right, like, yeah, yeah that's maybe. True. That's true. Maybe it's coming right. next week. But I'm looking forward to going back. What I want y'all to yes, do when you I listen to this, I want you to. Flip your phone over with our podcast on and do a little line off of it for, uh, you know, for only Bill for Cuban links. All my Al Capone, Al Pacino listeners out there. That's right. <laughs> La Coca Nostra. Uh-huh. That's right. That's funny. All right. Well, join us. <laughs> right, join then. us next week when. Um, yeah. I, what's a funny joke about Watch the Throne? I mean, I don't know. Jay-Z, Jay-Z and Just Kanye. patch one in later. Join <laughs> <laughs> us next week as we insert joke here. Yeah. <laughs> as we insert joke here. How about you just fucking join us next week? We're going to watch the throne and see if it's still a throne. That's right. Or if it's yeah. a fucking shopping cart. I don't know. Yeah, this still exists. <laughs> Who knows? Next week on <laughs> on. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>